when that happens you've got like a sense of power that everyone automatically comes to uh, to a hush without having to say anything so thank you uh, for that you'll no doubt be the rowdiest audience we've ever had at one of these events now uh, off that but good morning everyone uh, and welcome to uh, today's event this is our, our sixth we think uh, destination for for business events and it's fantastic to see so many of you here today virtually a full room uh, and once again, thank you as well to Sean and the team here at Manchester Central for supporting us with these events. Um, they've grown, haven't they, over the years, Sean, oh, since we first started. And, and we've really connected into something, I think, here. Uh, and we're hoping that today is as good. No, let's say we're going to be better than previous events as well. You're going to hear a wide range of subjects. We've got a fantastic uh, panel of speakers, uh, which I'll introduce in a minute. Um, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Chris Fletcher, I'm the Policy Director at Greater Manchester Chamber of Commerce and I'm going to be uh, your host uh, today for this event. As I said, we've, uh, we've got another great panel uh, lined up. We've got Sean Hines, who's the Chief Executive for Manchester Central. We've got Mandy Parkinson, the Professor of Business Innovation at Salford Business School. Mandy stepped in at the very last minute. Unfortunately, Lou Cordwell, who we did have as original panellist, couldn't make it. So Mandy bravely stepped into the breach. So thank you uh, for that. No, no pressure. Uh, we've got James Montrose, who's the Associate Director and Data Insights Lead at KPMG. And we've also got Holly Moore, the Managing Director, and Joel Bennett, the Commercial Director from Make Events. So we've got a very diverse panel, and we've also got a diverse range of subjects that we're going to talk about as well. In a minute, I'm going to fire some questions at our panellists individually, just to get that conversation going. You'll have opportunity uh, later on to ask uh, questions. We've got a roving mic and whatever. Uh, and we'll look to finish 
finish round about 11.30. Um, so please listen to what our panellists have got to say. If you've got something you want to ask, uh, please do so. The theme today it is around Greater Manchester growth. Um, and we've got to look really at the direction that the city's heading in. What next and how can we react to what seems to be increasingly turbulent times? It's, you know, there's not a day goes past without another crisis happening or something happening or one thing or another impacting on business and you do get a sense of resilience after a while don't you uh, but what we've got to do today is look at what those opportunities are going forward there's been some uh, pretty big knocks to the city region over the last 12 months or so but we've got to work out now how we can get beyond that and make sure we can continue on that growth uh, for greater manchester so I'm going to set some context around that, and I'm going to do a quick, in, a quick sort of overview, really, of, uh, of of what's going on, which will help set the scene a little bit. And this is the sort of day job I do at the chamber uh, as policy director. Uh, I'm not going to look into any crystal balls or make any predictions or whatever, but I think it's important we just understand what's happening out there because sometimes if you're in business, it can be lonely, and you see it through sort of blinkers. That's no pun, by the way, Sean, for your. Uh, next role, blinkers. <laughs> <laughs> there may be a few yeah, more, who knows. A few more of those um, <laughs> sometimes you can just look at things through blinkers and it can be a little bit isolating and thinking, well, this is only happening to me. Rest assured it isn't. We've got 4,200 members at the Chamber of Commerce and what's happening to you will be happening to probably dozens of other businesses as well. So events like this are great to hear about that but also it's what goes on outside as well, making those connections and, and networking. Um, this year is interesting, um, and it's still January. Can you believe that? It seems like the longest month ever, you know. It's the 35th of January or something. Anyway, this year is interesting. We're potentially, well, we're definitely going to have one election, and that's going to be the mayoral election in May. May the 2nd, we vote for who's going to be uh, the next Greater Manchester Mayor. We're also potentially going to have a general election as well. Okay, the government has got until uh, around about this date next year to hold the next general election. So we're possibly going to have two general ele uh, two elections, maybe at different times. I still think the general election is probably going to be August time or whatever, but who knows? They'll probably announce it for May uh, later on this afternoon now, having said that. But that sets a big context because what we've got there is we've got a lot of businesses saying... Well, I'm just going to hang fire with these investment plans. I'm not going to spend this money because I just want to see what's going to be going on as regards the general election. And we've seen through the data that we've collected at the Chamber, that level of investment has never been high, it's never been huge, it's been declining over the last decade or so. But recently we've seen it slow down even more and we've got that from our quarterly economic survey which is filled out by businesses uh, directly um, on things that, that's affecting them. So we've seen that investment begin to, to sort of struggle a little bit. So people aren't recruiting as, as much as they used to be. People aren't investing in that plant and machinery and also in training as well uh, around their workforce. We've done a piece of work at the Chamber, uh, the Local Skills Improvement Plan, which some of you hopefully have heard of previously. Um, and we've seen that level of investment that businesses are putting into training for the staff. And again, that's never been high. But recently, that has begun to decrease as well. And you're beginning to get some real long-term problems there. But if you've got a lack of clarity and certainty around the whole economy as a general, people are going to respond in that way. And I'm not making any political points with that. That's just the reality of it. You need that clarity. You need that certainty uh, around what you do 
uh, with investment. We've seen um, various things uh, impact on business as well. For example, uh, be remiss of me not to mention Brexit. That is still causing all sorts of problems with businesses. I was speaking to one the other day um, about some of the work we're doing ahead of the election, uh, and he told me a story. I won't mention who it was and names. But they'd spent three years, basically, um, working on a contract with a French company and eventually got out there face-to-face with, um, with one of the managing directors, spent a full day, uh, and then in, in this business owner's words, they let slip right at the end that their procurement director weren't too keen on signing this contract because that business was based in the UK, and that causes problems. <clears throat> so straight away, you've had three years' worth of work that are virtually undone because of one person's response to what is actually going on. Now, read into that what you will, but these are the things we're hearing about day in, day out, okay? Um, and again, we mustn't get too negative about this, but likewise, we've got to be realistic about it. So how do we overcome this? There's a lot of good things happening, uh, and, and a, a lot of positive things happening. Here in Greater Manchester, um, you may have heard, if you've seen any of the output that the Chamber's done, around what's called the Trailblazer Devolution Deal which sounds one of the most boring things you could ever think of. If you read the document, you may uh, get that opinion as well. <laughs> but what it's actually saying is hugely important, and I'd be interested to hear if this impacts on, on anything you hear today. What that document sets out is a completely different way that Greater Manchester will get its funded in the future. Now, if you need to go and get some money from government, you've got to go down with your begging bowl and ask Whitehall and Westminster and this, that and the other. And that creates time, delays, so the stuff you're actually going asking money for is probably taken care of itself before the money gets released and all the rest of it. What the government wants to do with effect from April next year, April 2025, is give Greater Manchester what they call a single settlement. In other words, they will give Greater Manchester, the combined authority in the mayor's office, a lump sum that will take care of what that spending will be over the next couple of years. There's only ourselves in Greater Manchester and the West Midlands will have that in the country. It's a completely different way of doing things. Now, that's good because we will have control over where that money goes and who knows best what's happening in local areas than local people. So we've got that. The downside, of course, is if that money gets used up quickly or something unforeseen happens, what happens in that conversation back to government when you've got to go back and ask them for more money? They could quite easily turn around and say, no, You've got more than enough. There you go. We'll hear about that more on the budget on March the 6th. So please look out for that. The key thing is, though, that we will have more control. So the good things that are happening in Greater Manchester, the great things that the businesses are doing, we can do more of and make sure that that investment goes to the right place. So that's quite exciting, even though it may be a bit of a, a dry sort of topic. We've got all sorts of things happening on transport. We've got the B network. We've got the next phase of that rolling out where you've got more control uh, over the buses. There's a lot of stuff happening around the local skills system as well, what they call the Integrated Technical Education System, which, again, is a, is a long-winded title. But that is critical because, again, that puts you as employers at the heart of that technical education system. So if you've got things that you need to see in your workforce and your future workforce, We'll have more control over that going forward. So it's a little bit about, you know, taking control of things in a lot better way. But there's also the money available to make sure that happens. So we stand on the edge, really, of some quite exciting times. 
But what we mustn't forget is what's happening on a day-to-day -day basis. And this is what we're going to be asking the panel about. The great things that are happening, where they see the future, what's happening with innovation, what's happening with growth. We've got loads of new sectors, loads of new opportunities coming through. How can we bring all that together with that as a background to make sure that the businesses in Greater Manchester know the direction they're going in, got the best support, the funding available, and we can make the most of it. And it's not about us being better than anyone else, or maybe it is, but it's about making sure we make the most of those opportunities. People have worked a long time to get to this stage, and we've got to make sure that we make the most of it. So, without any further ado, I'm going to throw uh, a few questions at our panellists. Uh, and it would be completely remiss of me uh, not to invite Sean uh, to be our, our first uh, panellist un under the spotlight. Sean is Chief Executive here at Manchester Central uh, and has supported these events in the Chamber and all sorts of things we've done uh, all over the past, uh, past few years, uh, especially around these events. So it's absolutely fantastic. Um, Sean, uh, a question for you. You've, you've, you've sort of long held the belief that, um, I'll use the phrase, the business of events. Uh, and investment and growth form uh, a sort of virtuous circle. Can you tell us why you feel that's the case? And how do events create opportunities for growth? And what impact have you seen here in Manchester? Yeah, good. Thank you, uh, Chris. And welcome, everybody. You're all very welcome to Manchester Central. Um, it, it's sort of, it's part of our DNA, really, the link between events and, and opportunities, growth and the economy. Um, so much so that a few years ago, we, we, we commissioned a company to do some research on it. But before we get in, into that, I think in, in the broader sense, we've had a few examples recently that kind of bring this point home. Um, here in Manchester, we recently hosted the Chanel, uh, which some of you may have seen in the news. It, it, it made, a couple of the, uh, made a couple of the news outlets, I think. Um, uh, but, uh, and, and, and rather amusingly, when people were asked, you know, what was the value of Chanel? And there was a lot of talk about the investment that went into Thomas Street and the money that was allegedly being spent by Chanel. Um, but, but famously, when I think when one of our uh, councillors was asked what the value to, to Manchester was, they said, oh, no, it's, it's impossible to calculate. Um, well, it's actually not impossible to calculate. And in the events industry, we, 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 we spend quite a lot of time and effort on quantifying really some of the value um, that we see. If you look at our sort of top line numbers, you know, broadly in, in, a, in a typical year, and we haven't had a typical year for some time, by the way, but we would, we would expect to see about half a million visitors come to Manchester Central for the purposes of events. Um, we calculate that value to be in the order, depending on the profile of the event, but in the order of around about 150 million pounds worth of economic value. And that, that economic value is the value not just that we see, so the value that the organizers, exhibitors, sponsors spend on their events that take place here in Manchester, and if you like, the, the money that we make and our direct suppliers make, but also what the local economy um, would seek to benefit from as well. So whether that's the hotel stays, the bars and restaurants, the retail, the transport providers, all of that kind of multiplier that you see. So broadly speaking, every quid that we see directly in the venue is worth between five and six pounds in the, in the wider economy. So it is, it is a calculation that, that, that can be done. And I think at the moment, people are saying, well, Chanel probably worth about eight million pounds worth of economic value. But that's just 
That's just the calculation of how many people, how long were they here, and where did they stay. What it doesn't do is, is sort of take conceptually the value to Manchester in the long run of seeing a, a world-class event like Chanel come to Manchester and, 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 and stage its premiere show. Um, if we look just down the road to Liverpool, um, Eurovision, obviously another very high-profile event. Um, I think, uh, you know, if you look at some of the figures there, something like 9.9 .9 million viewers watching the actual event itself, something like 680,000 visits to Liverpool. Liverpool uh, Council um, estimate a value of about 54 million pounds coming into the economy as a result of Eurovision. And, and you know, I think... The great thing about these numbers are you can use a little bit of license. And my, my friend uh, Nick here from Marketing Manchester, who knows if there's any licenses to be used, Nick knows exactly where they are. Um, and, um, but, but I think, you know, in some ways, it, it doesn't matter. The, the fact is that it's such a showcase and such a spectacle that I think we all know that there's, that profile is going to equate to something. Um, and whilst we have that calculation that I refer to, the research we did a few years ago Seek, seeked to um, almost apply a longer-term value to it, to say when you, when you have these events here over the period of a number of years, what is the halo effect or the knock-on effect of, of the kind of investments you might see? So you may, for example, have a particular event either in the, I don't know, let's say it's in the medical or the scientific field, and that may lead to a decision about an investment grant or a research grant being gifted to one of our universities, which in itself may employ people or, meet or may create a spin-out body of a university which then goes on to something else. And whether that's in medical treatment or if it's in scientific research, it's very difficult to plot how a conference that, that took place eight or nine years ago led to the head office of such and such being established in Greater Manchester in five, year, five years later. But it's a really fascinating aspect of the events industry. And I'll, I'll finish up by saying, you know, Manchester is an event city. Uh, and what I mean by that is, you know, notwithstanding the examples I just gave, but if you look in any typical year, whether it's the concerts that we see in the summertime, whether it's the football that takes place you know, pretty much throughout the year, whether it's some of the other fantastic events that come here to Manchester Central. You know, all of those activities have this knock-on effect, which creates value, um, both in terms of, of money being spent in the city, but also the jobs that's, that are created, both in the supply chain and directly. Um, you know, this, this year alone, we've, we've got a fantastic year ahead of us with a great summer of music, great summer of sport. Um, we've got our own version, by the way, of Eurovision coming to Manchester this year. It's a thing called Womex, which is World Music Expo. And it's basically Eurovision for grown-ups, basically. <laughs> and it's here in Manchester, and it's actually taking place in Manchester Central, um, but also the corridor between here and Aviva Studios and all of the venues that are long down the Liverpool Road there um, that are music venues. They will be staging all sorts of organic and, 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 and just one-off and, 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 and just concerts and recitals and all sorts of stuff going on. It's going to be fabulous. It's taking place 
in October, uh, half-term week here in Manchester, and it's going to be fabulous. And in, in the music industry, it's again, it's going to be the, the spotlight on the Northwest. Um, and that in itself will have a knock-on value for years to come as well. So, so uh, it, as is my style, a very long answer <laughs> to, a, <laughs> to a simple question. Um, but there is, there is, a, there is a real um, uh, uh, tangible link that we see, and it's one that we seek to, to exploit. And the final thing I'll say is, and this is the final thing I'll say, because everyone else has got a day job. I've, I've got another question. But, yes, uh, but don't ask me another question. <laughs> the other thing to say is, is, as part of this research we did, um, people that came to Manchester for an event, we, did, we, we asked them, you know, had you come to Manchester before? And, and about 100%, about 98% of those people said, which actually, the reason I came to Manchester is because of this event, but I'm going to come back because of what I've seen. So really, the events industry serves as a sort of movie trailer for the main event, which is going to be taking place when people come back. So if we can encourage people to come to a city or a place because of an event, then they themselves will come back in future years because of the experience that they have. And I think, as a city, we've actually done a really good job of giving people a brilliant experience, and long may it continue. Brilliant. Thanks, Sean. Uh, and again, Eurovision for grown-ups, you, you heard it here first. <laughs> you make an important point, though, I think, around that bit. Um, one of our former presidents, Robin Phillips, used to go on about the serendipity moments that you, you get when you meet people. And that perhaps has taken a bit of a hit over the last couple of years with, uh, with the pandemic and things like that. But that's, you know, where they get the events, the big crowds coming in and you're meeting people and like you said I bumped I, into this guy on zoom absolutely and, yeah. uh, <laughs> <laughs> you can't imagine what we talked about <laughs> though perhaps the most that's uh, another story though yeah the, mo the most weird one i've ever bumped into here was uh, i think it was when the british insurance association was here and uh, bobby george the darts player was coming out to one of the doors anyway what he was doing i've no idea anyway those of you old well, enough I, I to was remember upstairs with edwina curry and um, john barnes having an argument <laughs> about, um, I think it was a particular restaurant in Manchester. So it's there you go. These eclectic moments are all part of the fabric of. Uh, of Absolutely, what we do. you don't do that on Zoom. Um, just, a, just a quick one, um, or not? <laughs> <laughs> mentioned uh, around the and you know, let, let's be serious. There's a hell of a lot going on and a hell of a lot planned uh, uh, around the events, and and it's fantastic to see. And you mentioned there, obviously, Viva Studios and things like that. Um, have we got, in Greater Manchester or Manchester or whatever it is, the right number of people with the right skill sets to make sure that we can deliver that growth? And how, as one of the major institutions in, in the city, does that recruitment bit cause you any problem? Not personally, obviously, but the organisation. Because obviously, you hear a lot, don't you, about you know temporary contracts, this, that and the other. Well, that's basically how this, you know, how, how the sector works. Yeah. You've got to have that tap to turn on, but you've also then got to make sure that what comes out has got the right skill set. Is that going to be a problem? Yes. Short answer. <laughs> <laughs> so can, you have to what, work hard. What, what can we do? Yeah, to, you have to, uh, to I think every it. business in events and hospitality is really struggling with this at the moment at all levels. And it's been a struggle really, you know, in the years coming out of, of the pandemic. Um, as a business, I think, you know, there's been a lot of talk about real living wage, um, about how, you know, even the, the, the national um, minimum wage is increasing as well. Um, and in some 
conversations, people are seeing that as, as, as a challenge. I don't subscribe to that view myself. I think we, we've been a, a real living wage accredited employer for some time. And I think we just have to cut our business cloth accordingly to be able to facilitate that. I think um, we, we have a constant challenge to encourage people to come in, uh, into our industry, into the hospitality and the events industry. Too often, it's seen as an industry. It's a job you do while you're waiting to do something else. Um, and yet, there are so many great examples of people that have reached the, the highest echelons of career success, having started at the very entry level in those particular uh, careers. And so we, we've got to do a better job of doing that. We as a business, in addition to the, the work around the, 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 the salary structures and wages, you know, we're working hard on uh, apprentices. You know, we've, we've got currently seven within our business. If you go back two or three years, we had none. So I think that's really important to give people a career pathway. Um, and actually, at all different age levels as well. We're not just talking about school leavers or college leavers. We're talking about people that are retraining or coming into, into our business at a later stage in their career. So that's important. And then we've just looked at all of the different benefits that you get as as part of being an employee here at Manchester Central and, 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 and paying a lot of attention to trying to give people a, a really balanced but valuable package of employment benefits um, that just help people not only get through their life but also give them something in addition to the, the hopefully the fulfillment and the great job that they can do when they're here actually give them other things that actually help them in their own life as well and I think any employer that wants to be regarded as a, um, you know, a, a good employer, a credible employer, you, you've got to look at those non-obvious things now. And for us, it's been a you know, training, development, benefits, um, the employee proposition. Those have been the topics that we've been talking about in terms of our, if you like, um, our HR development over the last two or three years. Excellent. Thanks, Sean. Good to, uh, good to hear that. OK, thank you. Um, Mandy, um, I'm going to turn to you now. You're the Professor of Business Innovation at Salford Business School. Um, you've got a lot of experience around innovation and growth. What, in your opinion, is the best approach to support businesses uh, in the region to innovate? And you say innovation to businesses, and sometimes they think, well, that's something that's going to get done to me, you know, and, and things it, like that. Yeah. How can we overcome those barriers? I mean, innovation is a throwaway term, isn't it? We all say it, we, a bit like we say, you can use AI, use innovation. It's just about doing things differently. So just looking at what you already do, working you make efficiencies, working you make processes. Might be new products, but it's not always about doing something cutting edge. It's about doing incremental innovation. I think looking at it in terms of that way, I think as well when we think about Manchester, it's thinking about Greater Manchester and how do we support that wider ecosystem. So if you're a business in Bolton or Salford or Rochdale, how do you access innovation? And it's through your universities, you've got support on innovation through the growth companies. There's, there's loads of support available, but you're busy. You've not got necessarily always got a lot of spare money or spare time. Where do you actually start with the innovation? Well, the first thing I'd say is have a conversation with either your colleague, the person sat next to you, I'll guarantee half the people in this room have had some support via a university, via a growth company, and get them to help you navigate through, through all of the chaos. What we tend to try and do, and what I've done previously, and you wouldn't believe this, because obviously I look 21, but I've been in this space for a very, 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 very long time, it's take it back to a blank page, so don't assume that you've already know the solution because the problem you think you have might not be 
the actual innovation you need to make. So I think it's have an open mind. Don't be afraid. There's no stupid questions around innovation. I think that's the key thing because the smallest thing can be a massive innovation in your business and it might be very different than it is to the person next to you. So it's understanding that change is okay and it's about change. If you're looking at innovation in terms of technology adoption, so if you're thinking again, everybody would talk about AI being this really radical innovation. AI has been around a very, very long time. Generative AI, different. But how does it work for your business? Because not every innovation, not every technology will work for your business. And it's having those one-to-one -one conversations. I think as well, it's collaboration. And I think we're really good at that in Greater Manchester. I think that's the one thing we do well. We share ideas, we share the, the, the horror stories as well as the positives. And I think collaboration with the private sector, with your universities, that's where we've seen the most success, where we've worked with a business. So we're not doing something to the business, but we're going on that journey with them to help them. Have you seen um, more businesses become aware around what innovation actually is over the last few years? Because I know in conversations, like I said, there was a, 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 this, this sort of idea that, oh, somebody's going to you know, knock on my door one day and come in and say, oh, I'm going to innovate your business now. And people are going, how does that happen? I think there's been a bit more of a recognition now over the real benefit of it. Have you yeah. seen that, that actually translate into you know, more businesses innovating? Yeah, businesses understanding that it can be incremental, it can be inclusive innovation. It, it, I think that's changed. I remember doing um, probably a panel similar to this about nine, ten years ago and trying to explain what innovation was to that group of people at the time. It was, it was a bit like a tumbleweed moment because it was quite hard to... Well, no, it's, you can give examples. You can, it can be that simple system change that you make in a business that makes you more efficient, that makes you more productive. It can be bringing up completely new piece of a product to a different market. It's understanding the difference of it. I think there's been a real change. And it used to be very much the tech sector really embraced innovation and totally understood it. Now you're seeing that ripple effect through all sectors, through different supply chains of wanting to know. They might not use the word innovation, but they want to know how to do something a bit different because if they always stay the same, they're always going to get the same results. And I think that's been the, the change that people realise there's had to be a change, especially since COVID. We've seen a lot more of an uptake since COVID. What do you see as still being the main barrier? What, what, what's stopping everybody taking part in that journey now? Time and money. So I think it's been a long few years for a lot of business owners. So we've had, we've had Brexit, we've had the pandemic, we had cost of living. A lot of the businesses I work to are just tired. They feel like they've been on a hamster wheel and just trying to keep moving. And I think it, it, that's a big barrier. I think trying to find time to come out of the business and work on it rather than just try and keep it going, that is the biggest barrier to innovation. I think trying to get people to understand that that time you come out is going to be worth it in the longer term for your business. Mm. And again, it's, that's mirroring a little bit around some of the saying about the QES results around that innovation uh, investment bit. You know, yeah. the businesses are just keeping all the cash a little bit longer. We've got something that may or may not work. There's, you know, some thought uh, uh, around that. It's a really interesting subject, and we'll come back to that yeah. uh, in a minute, Mandy. Thank you very much. We're picking up on, on some of that uh, bit around innovation and technology, um, our next panellist is James Montrose, who's the Associate Director Data and Insights Lead at, uh, at KPMG. Um, obviously, James, we've heard it mentioned already. Man's just mentioned AI and, and innovation and, and whatever. It's advancing, isn't it? There's, there's no two ways about it. How can we, as a 
as businesses in, in the city region unlock that potential? Uh, and how can we utilise what is happening and we read about and, and whatever, how can we utilise that best for our businesses and growth? That's a pretty big question <laughs> Tuesday morning. But. Yeah, Mandy covered a, a lot of it very well. I think, first and foremost, learning and learning about it because the barrier to entry for a lot of these things is incredibly low. So just as an example, put your hand up here if you've heard of ChatGPT. Right. And how many people are using it on a weekly basis, either in your personal or your professional life? Right. So as Mandy said there, generative AI, it's, it's here, it's everywhere, and it is so available. You can create an account, you can ask it some questions, you can see how that might impact your business. It's flawed, and that's definitely a longer conversation for another time, but we are engaging in these tools and these systems in a way that we haven't before. Again, in the pandemic, so many people learned to use Zoom and Teams that had never used it before. Now, we're sort of digital natives in a way, and we're able to just pick these things up and run with them. In terms of collaboration, I would say that you don't have to do it all. There's a huge number of people in this network. What do you say? It was Chris, 4,200 members in the firm. You can all help each other, and you're all going to be going on this journey. And what is a small innovation for you, somebody might have already done it. There's a huge opportunity there. Okay, that's, that's a, that important bit, isn't it, around... <laughs> Again, don't struggle with this stuff on your own and think, oh, I've heard of it, but I'm a bit you know, reticent to, to sort of use it. There, there is that whole point there. Can you give us some examples of, 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 of some good innovations that you've, you've seen recently? Obviously, very man, confidential agreements <laughs> and things like that. But what, what, what would you say is the main thing that's actually driving the, those innovations that you've seen? Is there any particular sector that all of a sudden is, is really getting hold of innovation and running it. Mandy, I'll ask you the same question as well, but let James answer. So my background is in construction, and construction typically is so slow and slow, so behind the curve with all of these different things. But they are doing everything from using drones for surveys, actually using wearable technology so that you can monitor productivity and efficiency, and helping people actually understand where there's lost time. Um, on top of that, some people we're seeing people developing AIs in-house. In so whilst you've got a chat GPT that exists out there, it's not specific enough for a lot of different industries. And so people are building these things in-house and going on that journey. Another thing I would say is that people are actually setting up internal innovation labs because everybody's got a load of great ideas. Everybody works differently. And they are just going out and saying, what do you think is good? How could we change this? And there are very small things to work in practices which have uh, really benefited. Okay, Amanda, the same question to you. What, what do you see as your, the, the big sort of recent innovations in any particular sectors that it's, it's having that big, big change? I think manufacturing. I think the, the changes in all sides of businesses in manufacturing, the fact they're trying to adopt more automation, they're looking at robotics, they're looking at doing things differently. I mean, there's a really um, interesting company over in, um, it's in Lancashire, so don't, so forgive me that it's not Greater Manchester. <laughs> but... They do refrigeration um, trucks. Yeah. And some of the stuff they're doing in terms of adapting the refrigeration, so they're working with um, a cupcake company that has shops um, down in London, but they're doing national. And they've managed to change the innovation of a truck, so it's now glass, but they can refrigerate the glass. So as the people are driving around, you can see the cupcakes, you can buy from the cupcakes. It, it just fascinates me that 
they even thought there was a market for that and then they went out and developed it and now we're going to sell it on. So I think those kind of different innovations in that manufacturing supply chain are interesting. Yeah, and it's good, and it's good to hear where these things are coming to life, aren't they? Because you can all sort of picture that and, and think, all oh, right, okay. Uh, and, and that's a really good example. James, just coming back to you. Um, why do you think, or, or do you think a business in Greater Manchester is in a better position geographically than maybe other parts of the country when it comes to that help and support for innovation? And why is that? Is that because there's a lot of businesses and there's got that cluster effect or is it the, the level of support that's available? Why would a business look at Greater Manchester and go, that's the place I need to be, I need to innovate? So I think everything that Sean said about it being a, a vibrant, creative and cultural community, I think is a draw for a lot of people. I think that you've got a tremendous amount of university leavers who stay, don't necessarily go back, who are all looking to either start their own businesses or their side hustles or anything else that might keep them here and give them an interesting problem to solve. I think in KPMG, what we've seen is a move to more regional tech-based and, and data and insight teams. So not just in London, you've got a lot of people who can do a lot more remote work who may come to Manchester, but they'll stay for the culture, the opportunity and, and the networks. I think there's a, a huge amount of, of startups that I see happening on a yearly basis and then those are growing into you know sometimes double digit percentage growth maybe an unfair question maybe a biased question i don't know but do you see that happening anywhere else in the country outside london i think that leeds newcastle liverpool a little bit but i think that we are we're edging it in manchester i think that the, the draw um is still here Interesting. For Northern City, you've, you've mentioned there. So. Yeah. <laughs> Northern Powerhouse. God rest its soul. Thanks very much uh, for that, James. That's uh, some really interesting stuff, and uh, hopefully that's triggering some thoughts in people's minds because we're going to come out for, for questions from uh, uh, from the audience in a, in, in a short while. Uh, but first of all, we've got to um, um, uh, make events, and we've got Holly uh, Moyes, the Managing Director, and Joel Bennett, who's the commercial director for, for Make Events. Well, I'm going to come to you first, and you, you're a real uh, regional success story, a local business that's gone from strength to strength, survived the pandemic, and now you're working with some of the UK's uh, and Europe's uh, biggest brands now. How critical is your location in Manchester being to this? Uh, um, and what are the opportunities we can get from that, where we can say, oh, that's happened for them? I could do that as well, maybe in a different sector. Um, I think my answer will probably be a, li a, a little bit off piece to what you're asking me because That's actually, fine. like, oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but because what's been really interesting to me, so our head office, if you like, has always been in Wilmslow, which is outside the city centre. And the reason for that, when we were looking at um, uh, like a, a building, was being transparent, it was much more expensive in Manchester parking, transport, that we felt that it was going to uh, stunt recruitment and actually might, this is pre-COVID of course, that people might um, leave that were key, like key members of the team. Um, so we took uh, offices in Wilmslow and pre-COVID, like it was never an issue because, um, you know, you were in the habit of going out and about. So yeah, it was a pain to drive down the Princess Parkway to get into Manchester, but I would come to networking events like this and stuff like that. And then I think um, 
what what I think Mandy said before, you know, we are we were in as Sean um, was, you know, one of the worst hit industries. We were decimated. Like we lost three million pounds worth of turnover in one day. You know, it was just horrendous. And I personally was, um, you know, trying to like save this business and um, come out of COVID. You're still in fight or flight. So like. Um, you're still grabbing every, you know, we're 12 years old, still like fighting for every opportunity, every pitch, you know, and all of that. And you're like, I am actually, it's so comforting to hear you say that because I am exhausted, yeah? And then also I've become lazy. So, you know, where I would make the effort to go out and network, I haven't for the last few years. And there's so many faces I've seen today that I haven't seen for years. It's been amazing. Um, but I'd got lazy. So the reason that I'm saying that, and this is, a, I think, what you're alluding to with innovation, it doesn't always have to be technology and whatever, is that um, <clears throat> I actually, because I wasn't busy enough, set up another business in September 22, which is <laughs> um, a personal development brand called Anything Is Possible. And um, we are bringing, I believe, the most creative personal development event to the country. And we did our first one last year. And I could talk a little bit more about that and the opportunities it brings for Manchester. But actually, I made the decision in December of last year that I needed to be back in the city because I was being lazy. I was turning down networking opportunities. I couldn't just respond to, do you want a coffee? Do you want this? Because I just didn't have the time and I was exhausted and chained to the laptop and everything that was going on there. So I took, it was really brave of me to do it because it means me leaving the team, although Joel runs the day-to-day -day of the business anyway. But I took a small office in the Glassworks, uh, at, the, at the Northern Quarter of the Printworks, and I've only been there three weeks, and the difference I feel from being in the city is unreal. Like the <clears throat> the buzz of the city, being going into venues that I, you know, I'd just be lazy and not do the site visits. I'd have a call or a Zoom with them. So that, like, I'm like, aren't I like so re-energized? And actually, like, where the team were maybe a bit worried about me not being there day to day, they're getting this new energy from me because I'm back in the city. And like every like week, I'm like Manchester update. I've been here and all this. And um, I absolutely love it. And I'd forgotten how amazing this uh, the, the community is, just seeing all the faces today. So I've probably not even answered your question. But, um, <laughs> you know, it, 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 is, it now is important to us to be in the city centre. And just, sorry, one last thing on that is, um, obviously, I've come to this satellite opposite office for the sister business but a recruiter said to me from London she's got a recruitment company in London and Manchester said to me at the weekend and I hadn't even it's not the reason I'm doing it she said do you know what if you do have a satellite office in Manchester you're probably going to find your recruitment easier so where pre-covid being in Wilmslow was helpful it's probably not as helpful now for recruitment so we're actually for the first time ever probably even though it's only within like half an hour of each other have a dual location so yeah no, you. you what was you then, Sean? Maybe. No, it's um, it, it it's an interesting thing because again, you know, on a, a daily basis, speaking to businesses, and they're all saying now, oh yeah, we, you know, we want to get back into the city. We, we recognise the thing. It's not just about the city centre. Obviously, there's a lot of towns and, and other yeah, areas yeah. out there, but it's that physicality of it, isn't it? And it's also the environment that you're actually yeah. working in. Um, and again, it's in that transition phase. We, we've got new ways of operating, new ways of working now uh, that we do this. We were having a talk about this, weren't we, Danny, last week um, in the members' lounge in the chamber. We <coughs> see it now. You know, Friday, Mondays, yeah. you know, there's tumbleweed blowing around. There's tumbleweed blowing around the city streets. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, we're beginning to see that that 
you know, flow of people coming back and one thing or another. So just what that looks like in, uh, in, in the new world. You mentioned about the personal development event. I'm not going to let that lie. So um, if you just explain a little bit uh, about that. Yeah, well, it's quite interesting. So I, um, because events is like my thing, um, and I'm pretty obsessed with personal development. So over the years, just for my own um, interest, I have been to like Tony Robbins. I've been to um, Oprah Winfrey. And then you guys might not have heard of them, but there's some uh, like empowerment events in uh, the US called Create and Cultivate and the Girl Boss Rally. Went over there and I was like, nobody's really doing a personal development event where... A, it's super aesthetic, so if you don't work in the events industry and you're not used to stuff like this, it's pretty wow. If they are really aesthetic, they tend to be girl boss, female business, or they tend to be publication-led. So Hearst or Condé Nast will put these events on. So there's, you know, they're, they're, they're sing, singing to the tune of their, you know, sponsors and stuff. So I thought there's nobody doing this aesthetic event with absolutely amazing content. Um, the um, focus is on the wheel of life, so like the, the, the whole journey, not just business or wellness or whatever. And also it's very um, narrow in def demographic personal development. I think it's brilliant what you were saying, Sean, about the age group. Like I, this is a brand that's going to appeal and does appeal to 18 to 80 year olds. And you can come to the event at whatever stage you are at your life and whatever you're focused on. But what's been really interesting about that in terms of putting Manchester on the map the, you know, a lot of the sponsors were like, oh, you're not thinking of doing it in London? I'm like, well, no, because I want to do it here. And there's a couple of things that have been interesting. The speakers, so some of the girls are going to know Emily, the nutritionist, because she's like the big buzz on um, Instagram. She's one of our speakers, she's a million followers. And she said, I'm so excited you're doing the event in Manchester because it's the first time I'll connect with my followers physically in Manchester. And the other really interesting thing is, and a brilliant story, and then I will shut up, is when I went to Create and Cultivate in New York, MasterCard were the sponsor, and it's a million pound, a million dollar deal because they're across all the cities in uh, the US. And uh, I went to one of the talks, and my, my whole thing is always ask a question, and people know who you are. And the speaker for MasterCard was British. So I was like, oh, I'll just ask a stupid question just so she knew who I was. And I went up to her at the end and I said, I know you don't know me, but I'm starting this personal development event in Manchester. It's the first one of its kind. Could you put me in touch with someone in the UK? And she, this is in New York. She did. Year one, they said no. And then year two, uh, they committed to full headline sponsorship of the event MasterCard Strive. And so, you know, it just... They, not, they didn't ask any questions about London. They were interested in the product and what we were doing. Um, so... Yeah, I'm just super excited we are doing it here. And people travelled up last year for it and everything as well. So, again, it's brilliant for the region. So, yeah. yeah great practical example there in a sort of case study, as it were, really, of, of the power of, you know, the, the city and uh, and doing things like that. So, uh, really good. Joel, I'm going to turn to you now. You're the commercial director uh, at Make Events. Um, what What's your take on why... Our Manchester is, is sort of such a hotspot, working with your clients, and, and we've heard a little bit there from Holly around that, the, the, the attraction of Manchester. What, what do you think is, is the reason for that? Is it the breadth of events, the city itself or whatever? Why, why, is, it, um, why is it becoming such a hotspot? So I think for us, as Holly was just saying there, we are 12 years old um, this year, and I think... In the early days, we did a lot of our work in the Northwest, particularly Manchester. Um, you know, we've often been the go-to agency for a lot of the Norse household names. Um, through 
the years, we've, we've started to do stuff more across the, the country, and, and you know, we still do stuff in London and you know, the northeast and the south and everything, but um, the north is still predominantly the hotspot for us and our clients. And I think there's a number of reasons for that. I think um, we've got a real great mixture of venues here. Um, I think a lot of them carry some really nice heritage. You know, we're in a listed building here. We've got some wonderful uh, manufacturing-based venues um, around the city. Um, it's also quite affordable as well um, as a destination. So you're looking at, um, you know, we have clients that come up from London to Manchester to work here because they've got um, great choice here and they've got, we've got a great network of suppliers, but we've also got great affordability. And I think there's so much going on in London that it's such an expensive destination that it just, you know, rules it out for a lot of, um, a lot of clients. So I think for us, it's still very much front and centre as our um, core destination for client events. And how easy do you find it to sort of collaborate with, with other people um, to, to represent the sector and make sure those events get, get delivered? Is that easier than other areas? Or? Well, I think so, because we've been based here for so long, we've got a real core network of key suppliers now. So we've built some really strong partnerships with a lot of companies um, across the region over the years, which builds uh, a great relationship of trust and um, service level, and that gives us assurance and our clients assurance that we can deliver um, to the standard that they expect. Um, and I think also that helps us just to support the economy as well. You know, if we're procuring um, a large number of suppliers on a frequent basis in this region, they in turn will create jobs for people. Those businesses will spend their money in this region, which subsequently has just, um, you know, a positive knock-on effect. So I think um, whilst we do have suppliers outside the region, of course, we try to focus and wherever possible to take those with us. Um, even if we do end up working outside the city region, so that when they do come back, you know, it is keeping people in jobs and it is uh, encouraging them to spend here. Uh, and how important is that accessibility? Now, it's a bit of a loaded question, this, for the one I'm going to ask in a minute, but how important is accessibility? Because, <coughs> you know, I've been with Zoom teams, this, that, and the other. We've also heard the counter-argument that actually visiting people, talking to people, all these people here today, that transport infrastructure is absolutely critical, isn't it? How much of an impact, for example, um, something that happened here last October with the cancellation of HS2, does that have an impact on people when they're looking at it? And also, one of Sean's favourite subjects, the current West Coast Main Line. Well, you won't have to put up with it much longer, Sean, so anyway. <laughs> that, 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 ha that has a big impact, doesn't it? Does it have so much of an impact that people turn around and go, oh, can't get there, we're not coming? Accessibility is huge. <clears throat> um, essentially, our clients spend an awful lot of money on their events, and we deal with internal employee engagement in the main, so slightly different to a lot of the um, brilliant exhibitions, perhaps, that take place here. Ours is all internal focus, so companies want to have a cost-effective solution to bring all their people together, often from um, sometimes on a global scale. You know, we've got a massive event here in two weeks' time, which is for a, a Manchester-based tech unicorn, in fact. Um, they've got a global employee base, um, but also just UK um, businesses that want a hub that is accessible and affordable to bring everyone together um, quickly and efficiently, um, because time is money and, you know, they don't want to be spending a ton of money taking people to London, which might be more accessible from some areas. But I think in the main, Manchester currently is accessible. Um, we've got the M6, we have got the West Coast Main Line, you know, obviously there are a number of issues with that, um, as we've all experienced, particularly the last couple of years. But I think as a destination, um, it is accessible. I think there's been a lot of strong private investment in the city um, over the years in terms of hotels. You know, we've got some fantastic new hotels. We've got the, in recent years, we've got the Brooklyn, we've got the Claytons come along. We've got 
Um, the W, which is coming as part of Gary Neville's St Michael's development, which is great for the city as well, just to give us an additional five-star property. Uh, not for everybody, but a lot of businesses, that is quite um, uh, an appeal. So I think accessibility is key, but we need to make sure that as a region, we continue to invest in that and focus on that. And yes, you know, HS2 um, is disappointing, but I think um, focusing on our existing networks with the B network and the Metrolink is key to make sure that we're connecting the outer regions of Greater Manchester and also provide an opportunity for people to travel in comfortably and quickly from the airports and um, other major hubs is, is really important. Great, and it's, it's important to hear that because obviously if we are going to be, uh, you know, making more of these opportunities going forward, we need to make sure that people can access them. Uh, and it's uh, it's as simple uh, as that. Um, James, I'm going to come back to you now. We, we, we're having a quick chat before uh, before the panel started and you mentioned some of the work you're doing and you get an awful lot of businesses now saying we need some help around data uh, analysis and I was mentioning some of the work that we'd done on the local skills improvement plan where a lot of businesses were saying we've got all this data but we don't know what to do with it. Do you think that is a potential uh, barrier to future growth where we are data rich but we may be quite poor when it comes to people with the right skills to actually do something with it? Yes and no. I think that it's hard and quite intimidating when you've got a wealth of data that comes in whether it's from your CRM or from your clients or from anywhere else but I think that developing those skills in your team and with people that you're looking to recruit is is also essential I think either you look to recruit that or you can develop it in the same way that we all learn to use uber and smartphones we should all become comfortable with how can we interpret this data because it allows us to tell better stories about how what we've done or how we can help or what somebody else needs to do as well okay that's interesting mandy um, just coming back to you as well and uh, a bit of a crystal ball bit we're obviously hearing around you know innovation we've mentioned ai and things like that obviously one of the concerns that people have got is that we're all going to be replaced by robots you know and, and this that and the other what are your views on that? Because we, we get asked quite a bit, actually. There was a, a cross-economic survey presentation about a year ago. Some of the audience says, well, you know, if you're in an office job, that could all be done by, by AI in the future. Is it a threat more than an opportunity? Or are, are we still somewhere in between? I'd say it's an opportunity more than a threat. I think it's, it, there needs to be protocols and processes put around the adoption of AI in businesses. There'll always need to be a human loop in the middle of this, so it, you've got to have the human back in it. But it's about upskilling the workforce to go along with it to see what else can they do when they've got all this data, like James said. If they're upskilled to use it, can, will it help them take the business forward? I think any innovation is scary, isn't it? If you were a caveman and somebody brought you the electric drill, how scary? <laughs> you know what I mean? The electric drill was an innovation. Did you hit it with a wall? No, you used it. It's just thinking about you still need to have humans in there. AI, I think there's so much around the generative AI, there's so much around chat GPT and it's going to take all, all your, your roles. I think it's just to have a sense check of what is the reality of it in my world, in my business, and how can I adopt it and make most of it. But I definitely think it's much more of an opportunity than it is a threat. It's just embrace it and think about what you have to put in place. I think one thing that we haven't touched on and absolutely need to think about is the cyber element of the adoption of AI. And I think it's that's more of a threat than the AI in of itself. If you're not putting the cyber protocols in place at the same time, you're opening yourself up. Yeah, good, 
good, uh, good answer. I'll come out uh, in a minute to ask the audience for, for any questions. So I just want to ask you a little bit around that for obviously, you know, innovation in the events industry. And I would imagine in the time that you've spent it, you've seen a lot of change and things that you're doing now that you didn't do before. Again, what, what, what's the next step in that for the events and hospitality industry when it comes to new ways of working or new threats? There's a lot of talk about how events and organisers can use AI as part of their, I guess, event delivery and whether that's about finding delegates, about finding um, exhibitors, uh, sponsors, those kinds of things, um, content curation and so on. Um, so uh, what, going back to, um, we, we were, a few years ago, we, we were all um, preparing ourselves for never meeting anybody again in person. Um, <laughs> we, we, were, we were looking to turn this place into the world's biggest Primark at one point, I think. <laughs> Because <laughs> no one was ever going to meet again. We had this utopia of, of, of Teams and Zoom and so on. And, and, uh, and, and, and we, I'm saying, you know, we, we created a, a television studio here, as you know. We did, yeah. some, we did some work in it, didn't we? Um, and I think at that point, there was this, this huge um, expectation that this was going to be this incredible, this incredible seminal moment for the industry, which would change the way that we lived, socialized, worked, connected forever. Um, uh, except forever turned out to be about four months. Um, and, it, and it was quite clear that actually the, 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 the return into the real life experience was really valuable to people because elements of the Zoom, the Teams, the digital world that we immerse ourselves into, that is now very much embedded as part of our day-to-day -day working, you know, whether it's remote working, connecting with colleagues uh, who you work with directly or indirectly, you just jump on a quick Zoom call and it helps. So you, you're in this digital kind of environment so often, the opportunity then to come into the real world is, is quite valuable to people. Um, and so this great utopia that we all expected turned out to be not the great utopia. It turned out to be an evolutionary shift, which I think helped people become more productive, more effective, and actually be more discerning about the events that they wanted to go to, they chose to go to, versus the kind of treadmill of, oh, it's, it's February, I need to go to Berlin, or it's August, I need to be in such and such, and this just formulaic um, approach to, to the events industry and meeting. And I think that's what's changed. And I think with AI, um, there's an incredible amount of buzz around it, but a lot of it is just noise and hyperbole, to be honest. And I think what actually sticks and what actually changes things for good, I think, is yet to be is yet to be uh, really truly uncovered. Um, but it's great content for conferences. So if anyone wants to come and have a great AI conference, <laughs> the door is open and you're all very welcome. Um, and, and I think for me, I, 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 I always, you know, you talk about the gold, well, you don't talk about it, I've just mentioned the gold rush in North America uh, back in the old days. The people that made the money in the gold rush were the people making the picks and the shovels, yeah. all right? Yeah, so I'm quite happy for everybody to have AI conferences all day long, <laughs> as long as they have them here. There you go. You heard it here first again. Okay, has anybody got any questions in the audience? There's been so many topics and subjects. We've got three hands. I think this gentleman... Sorry, Leanne, I'll, I'll, I'll make you work for your money. Uh, could have gone... 
to the back, but we'll, we'll come around. Uh, the gentleman on the front row in the green jacket, just say who you are and where you're from, and if there's any one of the panellists that you particularly want to ask the question to. Or... Sure, thank you. So I'm Johnny Pavlik. I'm new to Manchester, and I run a group of companies between Japan and the UK. And I want to ask you about the collaboration and the community piece, because in North America and in certain parts of Japan, I find that businesses are very collaborative and very community focused. And there's this kind of, as soon as you're there, everybody kind of galvanizes around you to, to support your businesses. And I find that quite different in the United Kingdom. I find a lot of places are very adversarial and not very interested in collaboration or community. So I would love to, help, uh, love to hear from you about why you think Manchester is different in that way and particularly Holly, because you know you're the entrepreneur. Um, how that's aided in growth, Holly? Yeah, I, mean, I could definitely answer that. So, in my industry, sorry, um, it's it really is dog eat dog. So, and it's less so in London. So, to give, I'm actually on a bandwagon about the events industry at the moment because it's flawed. So, um, if you can imagine a big brand, um, so we've just won. Um, I've just delivered an event actually for a big biscuit company. That pitch process was five agencies and we all know each other. And we've done pitches where they've been face-to-face -face and one agency's walked past us while we're waiting to go in. Um, and it's, we all want the work, right? And we all want to win it. And so what happens is we, we, it becomes really quite competitive. And you see each other, it's like, hi, nice to see you. And you're like, you know, you could be walking past. And so that's, that's why I think in my industry particularly, it's quite, it's quite hard. So you don't necessarily collaborate with your competitors. In terms of community here, now I'm not good at this, but I'd and I probably think that these guys maybe disagree, and maybe it's just where you've met. I think there's a massive sense of community in Manchester, and I think that you know you've got all Forever Manchester, all of Manchester, all these different things. Now I'm not good at it, and that goes back to my point before, and maybe it's the fact of being an entrepreneur, your time is, you know, you're making money, you know, you're trying to keep a business afloat and employ 25 people. But I would act and probably lean to the, to the rest of the panel for that. I think that there is an amazing spirit. And I hope if you've just moved here um, that a few people here today would be able to introduce you because I'm bad at it and I need to do more of it. I don't know what you guys think in terms of community. Dive in. Standard I think there's a big ecosystem. And I think the, the one thing I've noticed, and I'm not from Manchester in case you can't tell with my accent, um, is that they are open. The businesses want to share ideas. I, I think it's more around collaboration than conflict, and it's more about understanding how you can benefit from each other and how working together works. And I think events like this, event, and the Chamber are really good at hosting a lot of these different events, but as um, she said, Pro Manchester, the rest of them, it's get out there and meet people and share ideas. And I know there's people in the audience today who that they came to Manchester for that reason, because we're, we're quite open, we're from the north, so people <laughs> like people. Anybody else want to add anything, John? I'll just, I'll just add to say, in terms of collaboration, I'm not sure what your sector is that you work in, but in terms of, on the collaboration point, I think, um, certainly just speaking for us as a business, we collaborate um, very closely with some of our most, uh, well, all of our spies, but particularly those that we work with um, the most, because we, as I mentioned earlier, we need to establish trust um, in terms of service level and what we can achieve together, but also to share ideas and creativity. So as a creative agency, you know, we, we have ideas of our own, but we work very, very closely with our AV team to make sure that what our ideas, um, our ideas can be brought to life. But equally, on the other side, we work very, very close with our clients as well. So 
Um, we love to build a partnership with them that encourages collaboration and um, shared space. You know, our clients come with hot desks from our offices. Um, we like to encourage that, to build that relationship with them and make sure that we've got the best working relationship and understanding. And it's not just a client um, and supplier relationship. It's very much um, kind of a collaborated partnership. So um, I think there are um, definitely maybe some instances where that doesn't happen so often. But I'd like to think that from a collaboration point of view that we try um, to do what we can in that respect. And I certainly think I'd echo the community comments of Manchester as a city is um, very community driven. And hopefully you'll see more of that soon. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much. Um, we'll work our way backwards. Sorry, Leanne, if you can. No? Oh, sorry. <laughs> yes, hi. My name's Joel White from BMS Wellbeing. I delivered a Reset It programme, which is focused on resetting things that don't belong to you. I guess the interesting for me thing which comes to mind as people have been talking is coming out of COVID, and not only obviously businesses directly impacted, but also directly impacted in regards to their mental health and wellbeing of employees and employers. And we see that that still continues to this day, if not as increased. I'm just curious, I guess to all the panel, because I presume you're all being impacted directly or indirectly by mental health, what do you feel businesses need to do in Manchester going forward to provide that support, not just to the employees, but employers, directors, or any roles within businesses? Interesting question. I don't know who wants to go first, James. Yeah, I'll go first. I, I think that... Part of this is about making space, whether it is in person or uh, you know on Zoom or appropriate, because everybody is going through things in, in different ways and at different times. Uh, I'd be lying if I said I hadn't finished a Zoom or a Teams call and gone, and there hasn't been a colleague around me who in another situation would have said, oh, hey, you're right, or do you want to grab a coffee and talk about it or anything like that? So I think that creating that time and that space for everybody to check in with each other to create a culture where that's respected and mental health is, is at the forefront is, is really, really important. Okay, anybody else want to add anything? It's always one of those subjects, isn't it? It's a bit tricky. People say sort of, well, I don't want to say too much or whatever it is. We've got an example, actually. It's, it's live, isn't it? It's, we've got an example of a live event yeah. coming up. Um, uh, the, the, the snooker is coming, the World Snooker Tour is coming. And one of the... Um, one of the leading world, the leading players in the world. Sorry, one of his requirements is that he has a he has a dedicated room, which is a quiet room where only he can go in preparation for the game. Um, and there's an example of an event that's kind of thinking like that. We're seeing that increasingly with other events. In terms of employees, you know, it's something that we've we've had to be very conscious of. We we're an in the room business, right? So when we came back to work, we literally had to come back to work whilst all around us people were still you know, spending a lot more time at home, were able to work, you know, potentially 100% remotely without there being any impact on, on their own uh, job or productivity. That wasn't the case here. We had some roles in this business where you could effectively work, you know, remotely versus in, in the room. We have other jobs where you've got to be in the room. And so we, we had to spend quite a lot of time in getting the right balance there to actually give people the, the, the confidence um, and the encouragement to be able to come back into a, a, a full-time working environment. Um, but I think being much more respectful about how it affects people. Um, and I think, if, if anything, in a way, when we were on that, when we were penning out of the, the sort of, you know, the, the lead up to, to 19 and 20, it just felt so relentless a lot of the time. And I think now, certainly in our business, we have a much more conscientious approach to actually, when, when I stand up on a stage and I talk about business growth, 
profits, revenue, this, that, and the other. Um, you know, just actually what that means for people in terms of, of, of their, their life, their, their, their work, their time with us, and how we, can, how we can translate that business objective into things that is also important to people as well. And I think we're still on that learning journey, but we, there's definitely changes we've made, and I think we'll continue to make changes as we go. I think it is that, oh, sorry. No, go on, you go. It is the cultural piece, and it is that change piece around being open and making sure, as business owners, you're open when you're saying, you might think, you know, you will have anxieties. Your employees will have had anxieties about coming back into the workplace, and it's be, making sure everybody knows that it's okay to not be okay, and it's okay to actually just say, do you know what, I'm having a bad day. And it, it could have nothing to do with work, it could have nothing to do with anything, but it's still affecting you. And I think it's that change of mindset that we need to do more of. Yeah, just, um, I do a lot of campaigning around mental health because I've recovered from severe OCD. So um, I think there's a big education piece, especially for the younger generation, on what poor mental health is. So, um, you know, with my particular illness that I had, you know, it, it, it is the sort of thing that could be triggered by major life events. And I've, I've been OCD free for 12 years, but I have been stressed and I have been anxious. But I think there's a real education piece where the word now can be thrown around in, in the wrong way. And I think that we have a duty as employees to understand the difference between it being an actual health problem that is in alignment with a physical health problem as to what are the natural stresses of life because you know i'm sure all of you have had you know if there's been difficulty with an employee you know mental health can be brought up and and, and so it should be but actually you know if you are in a demanding job or you go for a job that isn't right for you um, and you're not performing you are going to have levels of stress and anxiety and that doesn't mean it's a mental health issue and so i think there's an education piece within businesses whether you have a mental health first aider or whatever I'm, I'm, I, I feel it a privilege that I do understand it and know about it but I think we have to be really careful how the word is banded around within businesses as well yeah. Very good point. one last real quick point we we're a team of 120 people here pre-covid we had no mental health first aiders we now have 18 of the team that have undergone the mental health first aid training um, and um, you know it's been it's a strange way of putting it, but it's been, our, it's been the, one of the most popular development and training um, opportunities, initiatives that we've, we've presented to, to have people from across the business just put their hand up and say, yes, I'd like to do it, um, and actually have opportunities as well to, to actually deploy some of those skills as well. So it's really interesting for us. Yeah. I think it's one of those issues as well. It will never go away, but there's a potential that is actually going to be more in the future when you look at young people the number of conversations i've had with for example principals in sixth form colleges uh certainly in uh, in he as well where they've got that that sort of cohort now of young people that basically left school two years before they were due to homeschooling all this that and the other and there's a serious number of those young people have real issues around that connecting with other people etc cetera, etc cetera. and, and it, it is a real thing so i think it's a valid thing because yeah it's important like you said sean profit you know turnover this that and the other it's people at the end of the day as well do you mind if i just one tiny comment because it's just to do with, um it's very female led but obviously there's been a lot in the press about the menopause and so most women women are absolutely terrified of it um, we're working with a lady called the hormone doctor within businesses and what she she said it is it's brilliant it's been brought to the forefront especially in the workplace but it's it's also um 
isolated it and made it a terrifying prospect for women. What she's trying to do is educate employers on, and no disrespect, guys, but, um, you know, a, a, women, a woman's mood and mental health can change day to day, genuinely, like, without any control over it. And the whole hormone thing, what we're trying to drive awareness to within the workplace, because obviously we'll deliver wellbeing talks to, to companies as part of their conferences, there's things like endometriosis, polycystic ovaries. I, genuinely, I never even gave any respect or attention to because it's not something I've suffered with. And we have a couple of girls in the team. And I think that what we're trying to do is, is, is educate employers that for a woman, there, there's actually a journey mentally that, that men will not go through. They'll go through different ones. I mean, like rate of suicide and stuff like that. But there is a journey that as employers, we need to recognise and not be just like, oh, it's your period, you know, actually it can really affect you in the workplace yeah. sorry just thought I'd... no good, good point we need, we need to get these things out there and um it's uh, it's absolutely crucial i think in the past it's just yeah, yeah, one yeah. size bit too difficult to talk about yeah i think it's a different approach to it now and uh, yeah. i think that's absolutely right so thank you for that uh, there's a gentleman just behind i think he come to you at the back don't worry i've not forgotten <laughs> <laughs> thanks guys uh bo Ormrod, i own focal point coaching uh, and I help business owners and leadership with more of the psychology of business. So it's interesting you touched on AI today because that's very topical in what I'm helping them with. Um, so I, I want to ask each one of the panel, um, if you do feel like this, what is the biggest threat you see with AI? And not just workplace replacement, uh, work colleague replacement. But more interestingly, what do you see as the biggest opportunity? Good question. Was it threat or opportunity or both or? If you feel a threat, what's your threat? Because <laughs> yeah. not, not everybody I think, does. I think the biggest threat is complacency, right? Well, I, I mean, two relatively young children, and, you know, they're like, yeah, I don't need to know about this. I can just, okay. in the old days, I can just Google it or yeah. this, that, and the other, and now I can AI it. And I think that's a real worry. And I think the clever bit with this is how you, we as humans can actually, you know, take this capability and this, this incredible um, empowerment and enablement that it gives us and actually use it for the, for the better rather than which it seems to be at the moment, is is there, is there a shortcut? Can I avoid doing something by, by getting something, this, this technology to do it for me? Um, and so I think actually, the, the, as, a, as, as a business leader, the, to try and avoid the, the complacency that that might engender, but at the same time, not um, resist it. You know, finding the way to kind of adopt the bits of it, which I think might, be, might actually be quite interesting. But at the minute, it's just such so much noise and chaos. It's difficult to see the real good stuff versus the ridiculous meme on Instagram that will last for two minutes and then something else will come along. Wants <laughs> to go next, just, James? Oh, oh, go oh, well, I was just going to uh, just to add to that. I think with the complacency comes um, there's a, a repercussion to that in terms of learning. And I think you know you hear stories sometimes, or certainly I've heard stories of people that maybe submit an essay in school or in the uni when they've done that on ChatGPT. And right, you spend three years doing that on your degree, but who's losing out there because you paid 50 grand for a degree and you've not actually learned anything. And similarly, if people start to do that in the workplace, okay, it's definitely a benefit. And I think there are ways of um, harnessing that for good. Um, but I, I agree with Sean in not becoming complacent and relying on AI in that respect. Um, but I think from an opportunity perspective, I think it's huge. Um, and there is plenty more for us to learn as to how we can best use that for our businesses. And every business is different, but I know certainly for us, we'd love to be able to automate certain processes that we have to allow people to have, firstly, to buy them time back, uh, but secondly, to make us more efficient and therefore more competitive 
um, in our space. So I think there's certainly pros and cons, but very, very early days. I, I guess looking back to thinking what people thought of perhaps the internet when that came out, you know, it was all new, quite scary. How does it work? How doesn't it work? What are the dangers? What, what are the positives? So I think we're in a similar kind of space with that, with AI at the moment, but I certainly think the opportunities outweigh the threats. Go on, James. Yeah, I, I would add to that and say that there, as businesses, it kind of goes back to the revenue versus culture point. Business owners and business leaders eventually will use AI and it will be embedded into businesses and people will expect them to say, oh, yeah, yeah well, you've got the AI, go and do it. But with that, businesses are going to expect more productivity. And when people rush towards these results, what's going to happen is people can make mistakes and those could have huge consequences, personal, social, businesses, all these different things. I, th I think that's something that we've really got to be careful of. All digital transformation is just about pushing people up the value chain so they can make better decisions. The unintended consequence of that is that we're all expected to be more productive, right? You're gonna have to make bigger decisions in a shorter time frame. However, I think that the opportunity for this is for us to make a, a, an ethical and an empathetic AI which takes all of these things into consideration could bore you to tears about how the current AI models have been trained, but they don't take into account all different cultures, all different sympathies, all these different things that we actually need to build and the human condition, right? It's just a lot of text and a lot of papers that have been published. So we can shape AI to help us all. I'd agree with that. I think it's the ethical implication. So businesses have to think about the ethics of adopting the AI as well as the AI in itself and what that can mean. It cannot be adopted for everything and you have to balance that. And I think, it, But I do think it, it offers so many opportunities. We, as humans, can't process the information as quickly as, as this can, but it's how we digest it and how we then think about it. And we, we do, to your point, decisions can be quicker. It doesn't mean they're going to be the right decision. There does still have to be a balance of what is the decision and what's right for us? And I think that's, that's where there is a possible problem. Um, I mean, I don't use it loads, but I love ChatGPT for like, you know, and how do I set... Yeah. But a funny story from the other day, so I was asked to go on the news with Anna Jameson on the BBC Manchester, you know, the breakfast show. And anyone that knows me would be like, they're getting you on the news, like, literally, I'm so like... You know, what's up, my news I watch on TikTok, basically. So um, I was like, she said, you don't need to do any prep. I said, oh, I'll get up early. I'll do a bit of TikTok. I'll know what to talk about. Relied on ChatGPT. And I was like, what are the hot topics in the news this morning? They were like, we are sorry. We literally said, we are sorry. We don't keep up with current trends and topics. I had nothing to... I was fuming. So I sent it to Anna. I said, I said your job as a radio presenter is safe. It can't take over. That's, that's an issue in itself. It's, it's, it's quite interesting you said that because we, we've, we've done some um, work at the Chamber on, on AI. Uh, and Subra, our director of research, for those of you that, that, that may know him, he's, he's IT whiz kid, he knows all this stuff. It's just an example of chat GPT, typed in who's the British Prime Minister. Do you know what the answer was? Fine. Anyone? Winston. Boris, Boris Johnson. Oh. So don't rely on it. Stuff like that, yeah. Which is that point there, Holly, isn't it? You know. If anyone uses eBay, by the way, if you've not done it yet, use the AI description generator. Oh. Is comedy gold. <laughs> <laughs> Use it, but not, not for the purposes they've actually designed it for. <laughs> You're feeling a bit, bit downhearted after today. You've heard it uh, from Sean. So I'm just conscious we've got a couple of people who do, I do want to ask the questions for. Sorry, Danny, and I'll, I'll, I'll try and get her in as many. We've only got time for a couple more. So. Sorry, I'll be, I'll be dead quick. I'm, uh, I'm Nick from Pirello. 
Um, and it's a, a general question, but probably more Holly and Sean, because you've touched on it quite a lot today. Um, with all the events that are happening on in Manchester, do you think it's likely to bring interest and potentially investment into into the city? Uh, I deal with property, so it's obviously a big yeah. thing for me. I mean, I, I'll say the answer to that is absolutely 100% yes. We're already seeing it. If I look at our forward um, pipeline of inquiries, we're seeing a lot of inquiries coming up from events that traditionally would have taken place in London, uh, people wanting to be a part of the buzz around what's going on. Yeah. Um, Another quick example, going back to Chanel that I talked about. Yeah. I'm also a, I'm on the, I'm a trustee of Victoria Baths, and we oh. we hosted the um, after party for Chanel, okay. and uh, actually our, we only had a very small feature. But actually, the amount of inquiries that that's generated just for mm. people that kind of saw the space and saw the city has been uh, has been quite remarkable on a small scale. Mm. So I, I think I think yeah, ab absolutely 100% yes. The, the buzz around the place really, um, and in fact the person you're sitting next to. Sorry, Nina, if I can. Uh, yeah. if I, Nina wrote an article on um, LinkedIn recently saying, you know, is, is Manchester the New York of the UK? And that, you know, everyone talks, you know, Washington's obviously the capital, London's capital, London. But, but actually, New York is where it's at. Yeah. And in some ways, is that now the conversation about Manchester? Yeah, interesting. Right. Yeah, I haven't probably got anything to add to that. I agree, I agree with you, yeah. Brilliant, yeah. It was uh, the lady there, and then we'll go to the gentleman at the back who has been waiting. Just. Lady, the dark hair and glasses. Uh, gentleman at the back. And if you've got any time for any quick ones, Thank we'll you. do that. Hi, I'm Katie Holm. I'm from Intercultura. I won't stand up. Um, just a question. We talked a little bit at the beginning, I think, Chris, you mentioned about the impacts of Brexit. Um, and obviously, we have been discussing about a lot of emphasis on London and trying to bring business north and how well we're doing and how Manchester is a destination for business now. I'm just kind of wondering if there are any initiatives, uh, because I do work in international business development, are any, there any initiatives to put Manchester on the map internationally, so kind of focusing outwards, because Sean, you did just mention about New York being the place to be. Um, are we doing anything in Manchester to coax uh, business in from abroad and really solidify us on, as, on the international stage? Uh, the, the answer, I think, is, is yes to that. Um, one of the other uh, groups I'm a part of is a thing called IMAB, which is the, um, the sort of the, inter the Manchester Internationalisation Board, which is about how we effectively it grew out of how we took our industrial strategy, marketed that, and marketed it sort of internationally to attract foreign direct investment. So through the Midas organisation, which is part of Growth Company, which which um, which is responsible for those activities. And, you know, they, they've reported over the last couple of years or so record years in terms of interest of, of investment coming in, new jobs being created. So I think that's, that's uh, definitely happening. There are other initiatives with, with particular uh, country groupings, such as we have, an, we have an India partnership, we have a China forum. We do have a relationship also with various groups in the US as well. A lot of it connects to the airport because, of course, air links are the things that tend to drive um, a lot of those, those elements of cooperation. But yeah, the city, um, the growth company, the, um, uh, the mayor, they're very much involved in promoting Manchester on the world stage um, and trying to take the opportunity of almost like an independent Britain, but actually Manchester is the, is, is the, 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 the most forward-thinking city, if you like, within the country, so you, you should talk to us directly. So there is a lot of activity, and I think if you dig around, you can find some of those initiatives that are out there. 
Um, but I think the thing that's kind of held us back a little bit in recent years has just been the pace at which the airport has restored air links, and it has la it's lagged behind other international cities and also other UK, particularly Heathrow, actually. Um, and so I think there's a lot of work going into trying to um, catch up, if you like, and where we got to those air links. And um, I think that, that will be the, big ne the next story over the next two or three years. The US is a great example of that. I think pre-COVID, something like about six or seven direct flights to US destinations. I think there's two now or one. It's getting, it will be put back on, but you can't just overcome a, a, great, a great issue or a, a, a hit like that. I mean, from the Chairman's perspective, our international trade team is always being approached by inward delegations wanting to come and touch base with the Chamber. You name a country, we've probably had somebody through our front doors from that country sometime in the last couple of years. As uh, it's, it, it is quite phenomenal. And that is on the back. I've just scribbled down, you know, the role of the mayor. And you've got somebody like Andy Burnham, or it could be, you know, whoever there, as that singular point of contact, that makes a hell of a difference overseas because they understand that model. They understand, if you go to the US and you speak to a city mayor, they know who they're dealing with. And that puts us at a fantastic advantage over a lot of other places in the UK. And when you back that up with the quality of business, the quality of offer you've got in Greater Manchester, yes, we could always do more, but we're in a pretty good place, I think. Now. Okay, right. Oh, there's a gentleman at the back who, who I'm not ignoring anyone. Well, I am really, apart from that guy. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll hopefully get around to some others. So you've, you've waited long enough, sir, so don't, I hope it's don't a good worry, one. Chris, it's my own fault for waiting at the back. That's all right. But yeah, I do want to echo basically what you've just said there. So the Manchester Metropolitan University, the mayor, and also Japan have now just signed a big deal, which is probably why the gentleman at the front is now from Japan working with Manchester. Uh, but my question really is just uh, towards Mandy and James. And what I wanted to know is obviously through these connections that the mayor, uh, the GMCA, the old LEP, which has got a new name now, are doing, what, what have we really seen where AI or robotics, which is being championed by Salford University's Northern Institute of Robotics, has, re has really put Manchester on the map? So can you name any companies from, from James's knowledge of data nationally, I guess, where Manchester's championing, or maybe uh, Mandy can maybe mention some more Manchester-focused ones where AI or robotics is really putting the spotlight on Manchester. So, quite direct. Yeah, no, 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 it's, it, it's good. So, um, research. Peak, peak AI, first and foremost, um, uh, a front runner for how AI, an AI startup, if you can even call them that, I think they've just got Series C funding. Um, has completely changed, uh, I think, how Foot Asylum and other re retail companies process their data and got insights out of it. Um, the name has escaped me, but there are at least three huge AI healthcare startups which have been using um, AI to find new drugs and innovate past that, first on a, on a pharmaceutical level, but then also about how you can improve patient care as well. So definitely, definitely, I think that Manchester is well known for those. Okay, Andy. And I'd answer it a bit differently and say it's about the investment that we got into Manchester to support AI. So we've got the um, innovation accelerators. With around about 33 million came into, into Greater Manchester. That's supporting the Turing Catalyst. It's supporting the Centre for Digital Innovation. It's supporting the Media City Immersive Technology Hub that just rolls off your tongue. <laughs> <laughs> and a load more other initiatives that all the different universities are working together on. So I think... 
it's about, for me, seeing that investment come in and seeing the private sector work with the universities. So you've got the likes of Barclays, you've got the likes of Microsoft, Siemens, all coming together with the universities, support the, the wider ecosystem of the businesses to get access to that technology. And I think that's the difference in Greater Manchester. Okay, thanks, Mandy. Thanks for that. I'm just conscious of time, actually. Just looked at me watching at me on and thought, blimey, it is nearly that time. So, unfortunately, we've got no more time for any questions. So, I apologise for anyone in the audience that I did actually ignore. But, uh, um, like I said, a wide range of, of issues there. And I can guarantee there's no other business event being held today that's probably had such a wide range of topics discussed. Some absolutely critical ones and others as well just uh, put across in, uh, in an absolutely fantastic way. So I think, uh, can we just express our, our thanks, please, to Sean, Mandy, James, Holly, and Joel uh, on the panel. just want to mention something uh, that, that, that the Chamber is doing. The Chamber is funded by uh, Department for Education uh, to support businesses in helping navigate the, uh, the apprenticeship landscape, which uh, can seem quite complex unless you're already engaged in it. And that's everything from accessing the levy and getting the funding uh, right through to picking which standard and level is most suitable for your business. And again, this is something that we've been uh, very uh, keen on looking at through our work on the local skills improvement plan. So if you want to explore apprenticeships as an option, maybe you've never thought about it before, uh, we do run, uh, and we're running with uh, the Learning Provider Network, something called the SME Apprenticeship Support Service. So I just wanted to make sure uh, that people were aware of that. We'll send a link out uh, following the event today so you can have a, have a look at that. And if there's anything else, any other bits of information we've talked about, um, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll share that as well. Um, but it's been absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much uh, for attending. It would be completely remiss because Sean is leaving. This is the last uh, destination for business events. Sean, I'd just like to thank you uh, personally as well for the support that you've given these events over the last few years. Uh, Manchester's loss is Newbury's gain. There's no two ways about that. Uh, but enjoy uh, the next step in your career. It's been an absolute pleasure working with you. Uh, and the, the way you've brought this place on has been absolutely fantastic. So I think we should just show our appreciation. And don't mention Avanti. Anyway. <laughs> that's... <laughs> I was going to say that's a trigger point, but yeah, yeah, yeah. So, that's way too complex a pun for this time in the morning. Thank you so much. Thank you for attending. Please stick around. Please network, because obviously we've heard a lot today about the value of face-to-face -face connections, collaborations. We are a friendly bunch, believe it or not. But please make the most of it. You're all doing fantastic jobs out there. You're not alone. There's always somebody else experiencing what you're experiencing. So don't sit there and suffer and think, oh, I can't do this. You can and you will, but you need to be able to make those connections and collaborations. So thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of your day and have a safe journey home. Thank you. Thank you.